Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kyone Wolf is brought to you by Asana Plastic Surgery Center and MedSpa. Connecticut's only award-winning med spa run by two board-certified plastic surgeons offering both surgical and non-surgical treatment options. Here's the show. Hey, this is Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kyone Wolf. I'm Kyone Wolf. All right, imagine that you're at the symphony and your eyes are locked on the conductor. One moment their shoulders are rising, their hands are suspended, the baton is aloft, the music holds... And then pow, the orchestra gallops, the conductor's body crashes down, and like waves in a storm, they push and pull and whip around. The conductor dances in place, your breath is still, your eyes water, and all the while, you're totally unaware that you too are a participant in this whole thing. Carolyn Kwan is the music director and conductor for the Hartford Symphony Orchestra, and I've wanted to interview her for years, because how does she do that? What does it feel like? How do you learn to be a conductor? Does anything ever go wrong? And as a music director for a symphony orchestra, what does she want out of the music she chooses? What is she looking for? I started off by asking her what a musical director does. I direct music. (laughs) (laughs) I see how this is going to go. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So what does that mean? You're also the conductor of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Yes. So as a music director, I, along with some of my staff, we decide what programs to do for the season. So deciding what pieces to play in each one of the concert. I am also in charge of the artistic excellence and quality of the orchestra as a whole, musically and artistically. And well, I guess the best way to understand the music, I'm the musical leader of the organization. So the buck stops with you. Musically, artistically. (laughs) Right. Right. So, um, like, finance doesn't quite. I have input, I have ideas, but ultimately, that is the final decisions rests with my executive director. At what point did you know, oh, I'm going to be a conductor? Oh, gosh. I didn't for a long time. So, I never thought I would be a professional musician. Really, I mean, I grew up playing the piano when um, since I was five, but you know, it's just what you do as an Asian girl, right? It's, you know, you're Asian girl and you play the piano. <laughs> um, I was supposed to be an investment banker. I thought that you know I would come um, to America to study. I would graduate and I would go home and be in business. But um, I had this very influential teacher in high school, my choir director, you know, when you're 14 year old. So I came to America when I was 14 by myself from, uh, from Taipei, Taiwan. Um, my family's from Guangzhou, but I was born in Taipei. And I think when you're that young, going to a foreign country for school, inevitably you have some, um, some of your parental something gets transferred to the teachers. So I was very much in awe of my music teacher, my choir director. So I decided to start singing. Um, I studied voice seriously for, I don't know, 10 years. I thought I want to be an opera singer. I also started learning how to conduct. I joined the acapella group. I basically did everything that she was doing. (laughs) And uh, she really helped me fall in love with music. So even though I started playing piano, I really didn't like piano as a kid. So I, I think I fell back in love with music in high school. So throughout college, Music was something that I really was curious about. But while I understood math, I understood 
macroeconomics, microeconomics. I understood statistic. Um, I um, actually thought I wanted to go into computer science as well, but my economics and computer science classes kept happening at the same time. But I took a lot of computer science um, classes as well. I understood programming. Didn't understand music. Music was the thing that the more I learned, the more questions I have. It just didn't make sense. Like I, I don't understand it's it. It's kind of wonderful. It's, it's not, it. it's not concrete, right? Like I want a one plus one equals to two, yeah. and there's no such <laughs> thing as music as one plus one equals to two, <laughs> right. right? One plus one maybe equals to five. We don't know. <laughs> equals four <time. laughs> right? Uh. So another person that I was very grateful for was um, one of the Smith College alum decided one year to start this fund for music, which basically in my year, four students got $5,000 um, for summer study. So it gives us the freedom to go study music. So that summer I was supposed to go home to Taiwan to work at a Citibank. But because I got this $5,000, uh, my professor at the time thought I should go study conducting since I was sort of helping out with the choir and the orchestra but I never actually formally studied conducting. So I studied, I actually came here to Hart. Back then there University was a- University Yeah, University of Hartford. What Back year? when, gosh, I think it was 1998, the summer of 1998, oh. the last year they had a quote conductors institute. And so I studied conducting for a month, went Wait to- Can I just branch off from yeah. that? How does one study conducting? Good question. Thanks. <laughs> Most of the time when people talk about studying conducting, what they mean is waving your hands. How do you wave your hands? How do you wave your hands clearly? How do you gesture loud, soft? You know, how do you communicate clearly? So I think when most people talk about learning how to conduct, they're talking about the technique of conducting. But of course, ultimately conducting, there's so much more than that. You know, and in school, really, you don't learn any, hardly any, any of it other than the technique. So for the most part, you don't learn how to rehearse. You don't learn how to program. You don't learn how to study the music. You learn how to wave your hands. Um, so that summer was the first time I learned how to wave my hands. And so it's much harder than you think. Mickey Mouse <laughs> makes it look very right. simple. He uh, really does. <laughs> right? And then I spent another month at Tufts learning German and French. Why? And in the case of if you get into studying opera um, and conducting opera, it does become very useful. But most of the time, the um, scores is in Italian or German or French. So that's sort of what you were, you were told you should learn. Um, and then I went to Tanglewood uh, for a month to just observe. So that really summer made it possible for me to take that first step into becoming a professional conductor. But when an alum gives you money, you have to have something to show for. So when I came back to Smith, my conducting professor put me in front of the orchestra and I conducted for the first time. How did that feel? The what orchestra. Was that like? What was it like the first time that you had the baton in your hands and you were in charge? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine it was, um, I imagine it was kind of fun and kind of scary at the same time. Is that still the way it is? What, kind of fun and kind of scary? Yeah. Probably, yeah. You never know. I mean, depending on who, you're, um, who I'm conducting, right? Will you tell me about the project that's celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall? 
Yeah, so I'm very excited to be part of the war premiere of Stonewall. And um, it's part of the celebration um, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riot. And the piece is being commissioned by New York City okay. Opera. And we're working with this um, really a celebrity librettist, Mark Campbell, who just won a Grammy. Um, a few days ago, <laughs> and composer Liam Bell, and it's the first time we're going to have a transgender part written specifically for a transgender singer. This being the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and having this piece to commemorate it, so for you, being in a position of power in this celebration and a real active participant in this. How do you resonate with your I think I'm the perfect this? person for this task, or at least I'm, I feel very privileged to be a part of this project you know, on such an important subject. I mean, I think so many of our friends in the community are still very much struggling, especially in the current world that we live in right now. So I feel like more than ever, this is an important time to celebrate and to really, you know, bring awareness to what it was like and what people continue to struggle. So I, for me, it, it feels very personal and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of it. Something I'm particularly curious about with you is you are an introverted person in a powerful, visible, center stage, literally role. Why? How? I think life surprises you sometimes. You don't choose where to go. I mean, if you think about it, when I was learning how to conduct, I don't even face the audience, right? I mean, we talk about the entire, my entire study as a conductor was about technique and I was facing the orchestra. I wasn't even facing the audience. I mean, it wasn't until my very, uh, my job with the North Carolina Symphony, my second job, my first job was with the New York City Ballet. My very first job with the New York City Ballet, I was in the pit. I didn't even have to see anybody. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right? And my, it wasn't until my second job with, with the North Carolina Symphony that I came to work and they said, well, you're going to have to talk to the kids. I'm like, what do you mean I have to talk to the kids? No one told me that conductors have to be able to talk. I mean, I thought I just waved my arms. So I suppose... You know, this idea that conductors have to be able to connect with people outside of music and conductors have to be able to speak and do interviews such as this, um, these are all new. So when I was on the beginning of my journey, no one told me this is part of the gig. <laughs> so I suppose it's just part of the job. I mean, as I mentioned, I think it's a privilege, I suppose, to be able to try to make a difference, try to affect change, you realize that you do have this responsibility, you have this opportunity to be able to speak for others who may not be able to speak um, or can be hurt as well. And I really didn't come out until a few years ago, until I met my most recent partner. Well, how do you define coming out? Well, until three years ago, most of my board members didn't know I was gay. And I think I remember when I f first met my partner, Elizabeth, I actually asked to speak to one of my board members. 
and I went to his house and I told him, you know, I, I just want to let you know I, I, I met this incredible woman and I would like her to be part of my life and, you know, I would like her to come to the symphony gala, but that means people will know that I'm gay and you know, I remember being very concerned, you know, how are you feeling about me being gay? <laughs> so it really, I really didn't officially come out until three years ago. Has anything ever gone wrong on stage? <laughs> well, let's see. I think my opening night concert, my baton flew out of my no! hand. I think <laughs> it may have hit one of the Tell me it was first a violin, oh, and, and I think they brought it back to me. I mean, you know, the, the things happen. But there are other times, gosh, I was conducting this opera where, you know, we're on the boat, and somewhere along the, in the middle of the opera, this spirit river spirit is supposed to fly in from the off stage onto the boat and as we get closer and closer to that moment i'm like where is the guy is not and i can see off stage he's like still trying to figure you know getting strapped on and clearly there's some kind of mechanical <laughs> failure he can't quite get up and fly in so you know, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we'll slow down, you know, <laughs> slow down, slow down, Steve. It, it feels such a long time. I'm sure it wasn't that long, but it feels like a long time. And finally, I see he getting off from off stage and coming in and eventually arrive. And we literally was just waiting for him. I just put a fomata, which means I just hold, hold on to a note. <laughs> Amazing, the orchestra stayed with me. We just held that note for a little bit longer. Feel like forever, but he it's arrived on the boat. It's actually still going on right now. Right? And he arrived on the boat and we started singing. So things, I mean, it's live art. Things happen. Yeah. It seems like it's been important to you to have some fun in your job. And <laughs> when it comes to live music, for those who've maybe not seen what you've done, Talk about some of the ways that you've tried to have fun in your job. Oh, I mean, I love what we're able to do here in Hartford. So, you know, I feel like, you know, people think of classical music as very serious and very, you know, this is how it is. And, you know, you come in, you sit down, you listen to music, and that's all you ever see. I think at the Hartford Symphony, we really try to do a variety of things. We've had um, artists that pin life to music, we have um, puppeteer, <laughs> right. we have uh, actors, um, actually Colin wrote um, our uh, story about Faust, and uh, we've just, you know, I love trying different things, we've had dancers, and I like to think of it as a creating different kind of experiences and journey for our audience, and sometimes we even want to get rid of the traditional concert model. So for example, our intermix series um, at the Real Arway, we basically tell the audience that walk around while you're listening Don't to this. Don't sit and watch. Yeah, walk around drink. and drink. But, but the amazing thing is you can decide, depending on where you stand, you can choose your own experience, right? If you stand next to the harp, it's going to sound very different than if you stand next to the trumpet or the percussion. So you can literally decide how you want to hear this music yourself. 
based on where you're standing and you can literally look at the musician's music you can I mean can really be part of the ensemble and, and curate your own experience we've also done that so there's two groups of music playing at the same time playing different music so one at the front of the real way, one in the back and we you can decide which one you want to hear and what we've asked our musicians they play the same piece twice so you can either choose to listen to the same piece twice you can go to the other you can hear one each you can stay in the middle and hear both and i really like this idea of our audience making a decision of how they want to experience their their musical journey instead of being at the mercy of it in yeah instead of just you know sitting there and you know this is the only way you get to hear it today you get to design your own experience it reminds me of have you heard of sleep no more and that's you know what that's exactly my inspiration that's exactly how I came up with this idea that's of intermix funny. because sleep no more exactly my inspiration although obviously slightly different but but our musician likewise would sometimes you know our percussionists especially you know would show you how to play the instrument you know in between break we try we tend to do sets so we'll do a set we'll take a 15 minute break we'll do another set and take another break and we encourage uh, audience to talk to our musician um, it, Percussionists tend to be happy to, you know, let you try certain things. It is acceptable, percussion. It is, yes. And, you know, I talk about the piece, so I talk about things to listen for. It's, it's um, so again, so I think Hartford Symphony really is, there are a variety of experiences. We do these concerts with films now. You can watch the actual Harry Potter, the actual movie with the symphony playing the soundtrack. You really haven't seen Harry Potter until you actually go to one of these concerts and hear the music live. It changes the experience. For those who are just taking their first conducting classes. Yeah. What advice do you have? Go to a museum, go see a concert, go see lots of concerts, go see lots of plays. Yeah, learn the technique because that is a language. So the techniques are probably the grammar, the language. You have to have certain vocabulary in order to um, speak the language. but. Just as in any language, you have to have something to say. You can have all the vocabularies there are, but if you don't have anything insightful and interesting to say, you're not really an artist. If you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? So for the longest time, I thought, God, if I weren't a conductor, I want to be in conservation and you know, take care of our env environment. So I suppose there's some relationship in the sense that music is in their conservation, I suppose. And music is the thing that <sighs> takes us to a better place spiritually. And you're conserving the, the art and messages of people who've come before? Yeah, but I really think it's more about going to that place where we're just in the moment. If you think about it, music, to listen to music, you have to be in the moment, right? Because every single second a note is there, the next second a note is gone. So in order to really listen to music, you have to be in the moment to listen to each note. Because the music just, otherwise, it, it, went, it went away. Um, so I think music has this wonderful way of 
I don't know, clearing our mind, taking, helping us connect with our emotions, helping us connect with who we are, helping us connect with each other in a beyond words. And I mean, I think the world will be a better place if more people appreciate classical music or music in general. What song would you like to be in your head as you die? Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know. What song would you like to have? <laughs> I've got it. Really? I've got it. Lento, the American Dvorak. Oh, interesting. It's, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard. But is there something that comes to mind when you think about it? Well, you know, one of our cellists, our assistant principal cellist, passed away really unexpectedly this um, October. And when we were deciding what to play to honor him, and we decided to play um, Nimra variation from Elgar's Enigma variation. So the story behind it is that the composer wrote these um, variation. Each one of the variation was kind of dedicated to a friend of his, but he didn't say who, so people were trying to figure out. But this particular piece, um, the friend that he was dedicated to was someone that has been very important to his life and has always provided advice and was very supportive and it's warm. It's, but the piece itself is both moving but also a celebration. It grows slowly, but you know, when you listen to it, you can't help but to, it just touches your heart in a way that music has that special ability to do that you can't describe in words. And yet at the end, there is a sense of joy. So that's what we decided to play. I'm not sure what I would like for me. I think it'll change, who knows, probably something's, fun i would like since you know so much of my life is so serious it would be fun to hear something fun and just cheerful i think elizabeth would like that <laughs> your love <laughs> and ultimately i think she'll get to pick she'll probably pick something super fun and i don't know All right, <laughs> but well, it's not not a question i think about very often <laughs> well, that's what i'm here for <laughs> right you said that when you were younger you were possibly going to become an opera singer yes that is another conundrum. That is another <laughs> mixed message that you said that, you know, it's a good point that as a conductor, you're facing your orchestra, right. which even in and of itself is still a public thing. This is still a, how many people are in an orchestra? Give Depends, or depending on the piece. I don't know. It could be as small as 30, 40 to 100, 120. That's a big house party, choir, Carolyn. Right? <laughs> that's a big ass house party. But so even still, that's a pretty extroverted thing to do, and it's a position of power. And to do opera requires a confidence unlike any other, and to reach the ends of the hall and beyond. Okay. And so, as someone who's still sort of drawn and attracted to opera singing, does that square with? the job of a conductor oh, or is it a totally yeah. different part of your spirit? Oh, I've never thought about these. You ask great questions. Um, I think the opera thing came from my attachment to the music teacher. So who knows what came first, right? You know, it's almost like you want the teacher's approval. So you want to be good at whatever it is that the teacher was teaching. 
And then at some point that potentially translate to you started on this journey and because you're stubborn, you want to keep being good at it, not knowing what it is. I mean, no one can really understand what conducting is until they start doing it. So it's really hard to say, you know, I want to do this when you don't really know what it is. And certainly on my journey, there's been a lot of, you know, are you sure you want to be a conductor? You know, girls don't really conduct. You know, are you sure you want to do this? And being a very stubborn person and strong-willed person, I think the more people tell me you can't do something, the more I want to prove them wrong. And even as a child, my mother would say, well, if you want Carolyn to go east, you better tell her to go west and then she'll end up going east. <laughs> so I guess I'm... Um, there's a little bit of mystery there, <laughs> a little bit of conundrum. I don't know. I guess this is why I'm an artist. I'm complex. <laughs> Thanks to Carolyn Kwan, music director and conductor with the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she becomes an opera singer someday, too. By the way, I went to the HSO event she talked about, Intermix, where you can watch the orchestra from basically anywhere you want in the room. And it was... Amazing. Sure enough, we got to get up close and personal to the musicians as they played. I mean, to a degree. I don't want to smell their reeds or anything. I got to ask the bassoon player if that super low note she played during Carl Nielsen's wind quintet movement was as satisfying as it looked. And I got to ask the bass player all about this cool extension that I noticed she had on her lowest string. It turns out that some pieces of music, especially from a long time ago, were written with notes too low to be played on the double bass. So... There's this panel that you can install that allows you to play them. That is so cool and even cooler that this whole setup allowed me to walk right up to her after she was done to find out. And I got to sit right in the middle of the orchestra as they played Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, which is like one of the most mournful pieces of music of all time. And I recognize that's saying a lot considering the instruments were around me like a hive buzzing and even though it's such a sad song, I couldn't stop smiling. Thank you, Carolyn, and thanks to the tremendously talented and committed musicians of the HSO. Find out more of her work at carolynquan.com and treat yourself to an experience with her orchestra at hartfordsymphony.org. Thanks for listening to Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kion Wolf. If you like the show and you want us to grow, subscribe to it. And please share this episode on your social medias and leaving us a review on iTunes really helps the algorithm gods float us to the top. And if you have someone who you think would be awesome on this podcast, email me, podcast at ctvoicemag.com. That's podcast at ctvoicemag.com. And of course, check out Connecticut Voice Magazine for more great interviews and photos. It's a quarterly, and I love how this podcast and the magazine really complement each other. You'll see. Check them out and sign up to get yours at ctvoicemag.com. This episode of Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kyone Wolf is brought to you by Asana Plastic Surgery Center in MedSpa, Connecticut's only award-winning med spa run by two board-certified plastic surgeons offering both surgical and non-surgical treatment options. This podcast is made possible by Connecticut Voice Magazine, of course, and by me, my production company is at kionewolf.com, where you can see all the other shows and goodies I've got for you, and you can sign up for my newsletter, too. Find me on the Twitters and the Instas at kionewolf, and on Facebook at Wolf Productions. Okay, if it wasn't abundantly clear, I'm Kion Wolf, and remember, I need a better sign-off. <laughs>